scriptures together with me to a rather familiar portion of scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, and in this passage we find a high watermark moment in the history of Israel. This is something that had been long awaited that has finally come to pass. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1, and I am relatively sure that most believers who are watching this tonight know at least one verse out of this chapter. The problem is we know just one verse out of this chapter. There is a greater message that God wants for us to draw from this as we see this passage in its given context. And in 2 Chronicles 7, in verse number 1, we find here, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of twenty and two thousand oxen, and an hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And the priests waited on their offices, the Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord, because his mercy endureth forever. When David praised by their ministry, and the priests sounded trumpets before them, and all Israel stood. Moreover, Solomon hallowed the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings, because the brazen altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the meat offerings and the fat offerings. Also at the same time, Solomon kept the feast seven days, and all Israel with him a very great congregation from the entering end of Hamath under the river of Egypt. And in the eighth day they made a solemn assembly, for they kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. And on the three and twentieth day of the seventh month he sent the people away into their tents, glad and merry in heart for the goodness that the Lord had showed unto David and to Solomon and to Israel his people. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord, and in his own house, he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven and there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send 
pestilence among my people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be opened and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And as for thee, if thou, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and shall observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom, according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler in Israel. But if he turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name lie cast out of my sight, and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord, Lord done thus unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. Lord, help us tonight to discern the sense of what you have laid before us. Use me as I communicate these great truths, I pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. So often we hear 2 Chronicles 7.14 quoted. We see it going around the internet. There are often people that will use it. It's a beautiful verse, but I fear that so many times it is wrested out of its context and, and misapplied. And yet, as we consider it in its context tonight, we can also see the greater application for the people of God in this dispensation of grace. We know that this was a passage that was written specifically to Israel. When God said He would heal their land, He spoke of healing Israel. That was His promise. And so, this was not a promise that was given specifically to America, but tonight I tell you that there is an application that we discover here that helps us understand how the judgment of the Lord which is upon us as a nation can be stayed. You see, Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and had given a, a prayer of dedication unto God. And What we find is that upon the conclusion of Solomon's prayer of dedication, that the glory of the Lord filled the house. And we find that the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the sacrifices that were upon the altar. And all the people that were around 
saw that the priest could not enter the temple for the glory of the Lord filled it. They, they saw the fire rain down from heaven and consume the sacrifices. And I want to just simply say to you that God has chosen a people for His name in this dispensation. And just as the children of Israel, Israel were His people, God has had a people in every dispensation of time. Sometimes it was just a small remnant of people, but nevertheless, He had a people. In the book of 1 Peter, we discover in chapter 2 that the Word of God says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him that hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are ye the people of God, which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so what we find is that God has in this dispensation chosen a people unto Himself, and that is the church of the living God. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, you are that people that are chosen of the Lord. And today I believe that we can take a look into this profound passage and this prophecy in which this verse is found. And the Lord is prophesying to Solomon and said, I've heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself. And then he said, if I, meaning God, shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. And that is the context for verse 14. If God brings His judgment down upon us, then what do we do? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Tonight, I I believe it behooves us to consider the question, will God heal our land? What I mean is, In this time of a pestilence, in this time of a global unrest and uncertainty, in this time of a political divide, and in this time of great anger and animosity and violence in our city streets, our land, meaning this country, needs a special touch from the Lord. And I want to simply say that just as occurred at the dedication of the temple of Solomon when the glory of the Lord came about and when the fire of God fell down. We can look to times in our own nation's history where the glory of the Lord was revealed, where the fire from heaven fell, and where God was pleased to bless the people here in this country. I want to simply say that After that, we notice the great sacrifices that were made unto the Lord. And it was not a waste of 
of animals that should call someone to alert the SPCA. But let me say this to you. It was a fitting sacrifice because everyone looked forward to Christ, the Lamb of God, that would come and take away the sin of the world. You recall when the people of God were in captivity in Egypt on that Passover night, every household in Israel had to offer a lamb without spot and without blemish unto the Lord and apply the blood on the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over them. And let me say this to you, that God uh, was pleased that they brought these sacrifices and, and, the, and the fire of God came down. It was a time of the refining and the judgment of God for sin. That's why they had the altar. That's why they had the temple. It was so that they could address the issues of sin and commune with their God. And let me say that our country, over its brief history, has had two great awakenings. And during those times, we have seen great movements of evangelism and and a groundswell of personal holiness that allowed our country to become the great nation that it was. And those were times where uh, there was preaching uh, and fire fell from heaven, not literally, but uh, in a figurative sense. The Holy Spirit of God came in power and in glory, and people fell on their faces before God, and they turned their hearts unto God. This is what happened in Israel. When the glory came and the fire fell, the people fell on their faces before God. I wonder if you can look to some time, some moments in your life, in your experience with God, where God came in such a powerful way and in a movement that you could do nothing save fall on your face and cry out to God and tell of His goodness and His mercy. And they said, The Lord is good and His mercy endureth forever. I tell you, as a young man, I can remember many times uh, being in meetings. And although uh, there were times where uh, the preachers were preaching, I may not have understood everything that was being said. I may not have understood every word, but I listened intently and I discerned the Spirit. And I sensed the moving of God and I could hear the cries of God's people. And I could uh, hear the sobs that were audible. And I could see people kneeling down during the preaching. I could see people running forward uh, to an old-fashioned mourner's bench even before an invitation was ever given, not caring what anybody thought about it. I saw folks going over uh, to people across the auditorium and getting things right and revival coming and the glory of the Lord, as it were, filling the place. And over and over again, our nation has seen great movements of God, great churches, great evidence of evangelistic movements. And, And I'm telling you, We have not seen such movement in our nation in a generation. And although we can see evangelism at times, we can see uh, people getting saved in some measure, we are not seeing the same groundswell. We are not seeing the same uh, spirit of dealing with iniquity and idolatry in our society as we once did. But the people of God, they recognize that He was good. 
and they were grateful that God came down in power and in great glory. And they offered the sacrifices and celebrated the feast for seven days. And on the eighth day, they went home happy and glad that God had done wonders among them. And the Lord came to Solomon after all of these things. And he said, I want you to know I've heard that prayer of dedication. And, uh, and I've chosen this place for myself for an house of sacrifice. Then he said, If I shut up heaven and there be no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, if I send pestilence among my people, then here's what he says, If my people, which are called by my name, understand that he's giving them some hypothetical scenarios here. And I want to tell you how much I love a Savior that gave the remedy before there was even a problem. That he said, if, if, problem, if a problem comes, I've got the answer for it here. If, if something comes about and, and it's adverse, I want you to know here's, here's how you take care of it. The Lord did that in advance. And uh, they would need it. Because not one more king would rise before all that the Lord said could happen did happen. Solomon's heart was turned away from the Lord. And he did not serve the Lord perfectly as did his father David before him. And that does not indicate that David was a perfect or sinless man. But he did have a heart that was after God and the things of the Lord. And he with his whole heart sought to know and do God's will. And so what we find in this passage is, if these adverse things come upon you, if a pestilence comes upon you, and by the way, by definition, this coronavirus or COVID-19 or however you want to term it, it's a pestilence. By, by any definition, it falls within the category of a pestilence. Something that is damaging and destructive on a broad scale is what constitutes pestilence. And so it has come upon us. And I today believe that America is under judgment. You say it's, it's, it's around the world. Yeah, I think that God is no respecter of persons. He's not just dealing with America. He's dealing with mankind. And the fact is that they have hardened their hearts against the Lord. They have become absorbed with self and humanistic in their very thought and deed. Violence covers the land. Abortion is accepted almost everywhere, what we find is that people have forsaken God. More people in our country today will watch the Super Bowl than will attend a church service. I'm just simply saying that we're finding that all of the things that God said might invite a pestilence upon the people of Israel 
are the very things that we see commonplace in our world today, in our country today. And I believe that we notice in this passage a condition. The Lord gave a condition. He said, if I do this, then you want it to be stayed. If you'll do this. Okay, if this hypothetically comes upon you, then here's what you do. If you'll do this, then healing will come. The Lord gave this conditional promise as revealed here by the word if. If the people were undone and judgment was upon them, the Lord said, then if you will do this, I will do this. And so, I don't think really it takes a genius to look around and understand that the major cities of our country are turning into homeless encampments in many places. They're, they're turning into uh, places of riot and excess. Uh, we're finding that most of them are going bankrupt for foolish decisions that have flouted God and His righteousness. We, we are seeing uh, that uh, we, we would rather lose the, the elderly, and, and it's our own little uh, secret way of perhaps euthanizing those that we feel have no more value in society, uh, and, and, and we'll just shove them off there, and we'll send COVID patients in New York State into a nursing home, and, and knowing that uh, perhaps it will decimate every resident that lives there, and, and we'll prefer abortion clinics, and we'll, as an act of our president in his first uh, week of office, start sending, money, sending new money back to countries around the world to perform abortions. I'm simply saying that Dr. Fauci isn't going to fix this problem, that President Joe Biden isn't going to fix this problem. That this problem won't be fixed by Governor Ducey or by Senator Sinema or Senator Kelly or any, any other Congress member. It's not going to be fixed by a politician. In fact, I've discovered in my lifetime that most times politicians don't fix anything. They just make the problems more complicated. The fact is today, they are causing your children and their children and their children after them to be indebted on a level that no one could have ever imagined. We're going to send $2 trillion out in the coming days to, to try to help after we just gave out $2 trillion. Folks, we don't have $2 trillion to give. That doesn't represent the tax revenue for all of our country in a single year. The reality is our country with all the tax revenue, 100% of it, could not even begin to pay the interest on the national debt. The fact is that we are a debtor nation. And we are printing money. And it's as valuable, going to be as valuable one day as monopoly money. The fact today is that we're a nation under judgment because we have forgotten God. We have 
forsaken God. We have chosen to let crimes go unpunished, to turn criminals out in the street, to, to praise abortion doctors and uplift abortion and to want to legalize those things that are devastating to a culture and and we've we have really forgotten God. They want to legislate God out of the public square and out of the courthouse and take the Ten Commandments off the walls and they want to tear down sacred monuments, not to political leaders, but to that honor God and give credence unto the Lord for his blessing upon this nation. And so God gave them a condition, but we notice that we see not only a condition, but a Christian. As I mentioned earlier, the Lord directed this to the people that were called by His name. You see, He said, if my people, which are called by my name. In this dispensation, are not Christians called by His name? Are we not, as I read earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2, a chosen generation, a royal people, a people of God, that we are called to be peculiar, zealous unto good works, even as Paul wrote unto Titus. We are a people, even as we're called in, uh, in, in the New Testament, Christian, a name given to denigrate us, little Christ. We're the people that are called by His name. And let me say to you, it is not the world in this instance that needs to pay heed here. It's saddening to consider the statistics that have been given over and over again that so many people are willfully ignorant of that every year and even before COVID, but now since COVID even more so, the number one thing downloaded on the internet every day is not news, it's not sports, it's pornography. There's more pornography downloaded every day than any other single thing on the internet. And God's Word here is not addressing the pornographers. God's Word here is not addressing the abortionists. God's word here is not addressing the prostitutes that are walking up and down the surface road here. Or the, or the drug pushers that are standing on the corner down the street. It's not addressing them. It's not addressing the, the coyotes that are bringing people in and, and holding them hostage and trafficking in humans in such a terrible way. That's not who God is talking to here. It's not even talking to the politicians that are self-serving and high-minded and drunk with power and considering everybody in their constituency to be the unwashed masses. That's not who God is talking to. The ones that He is talking to are those that are called by His name. He's talking to those that name the name of Christ in this dispensation. He's talking to Christian people. We're the ones that need to pay heed. If anything will affect a change in this land, it's God's people listening. 
to the voice of God at this moment. You see, we notice that he gave a condition and we find a Christian which are the people called by his name but we notice a contrition for he said if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves you see what was necessary right before God gave any further instruction in the event that the judgment of the Lord came upon them as a people, what was necessary was a contrition. A contrite spirit that was characterized by humility. You see, that's what God was calling for. Humility. Perhaps we would do well to take note of the fact that in the Proverbs it says, Six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him. And the very first thing that God names as that which He hates is a proud look. We know that the Bible reveals to us that pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And what we also know is that the Bible reveals that God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. I believe today that we need to understand that God is calling us to lay our pride aside, our self-righteous attitude, thinking that we have already done everything that God would require of us, that somehow we have arrived at some sort of a place of spiritual ascendancy and, and uh, we're keeping ourselves so far from the world that we're having no impact upon the world in which we live, but rather uh, it's impacting us. And what it's doing is it's making us like the prophecies of old feel like we're so much better than everybody else. The fact is, what God is calling us to do is to humble ourselves before Him and fall on our faces before God and realize that He is God and we are not and He is holy and altogether beautiful and lovely and a God of glory and a God of righteousness is calling us to fall on our faces before Him in a repudiation of our own way. You see, look, God has, has let us go our way. He's given us that free will to choose. And what we have seen as even in Christendom today, so many of the things that are grieving and vexing the heart of God, our churches in America have ceased speaking to the issues. They have just given up on preaching against certain sins, deeming that that is a hill upon which they are unwilling to fight and die. And let me say to you, my friends, that God is calling all of those who have capitulated. They've acquiesced to the sin of the world, and they have become at ease in Zion. He's calling God's people to have a contrite spirit and humble themselves before God and fall on our faces before Him and recognize and acknowledge before Him that we are undone. Just like Isaiah of old who said, I, when I saw the Lord high and lifted up, I, I, then I cried, woe is me for I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
I'm telling you what used to be considered absolute vile iniquity passes for something that we kind of aw shucks and let go because our standards of what constitutes holiness are always moving and shifting with the culture. But God said in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. What God considers to be evil It was evil 2,000 years ago. It was evil 200 years ago. It was evil when we were kids, and it's still evil today, even if everybody in the world is doing it. The fact is, God says, I'm calling for a contrition, for a humility. You see, we can go into um, passages where Israel was under judgment, When the Assyrians had besieged Jerusalem and wiped out 80% of its inhabitants. You can read in Lamentations, you can see there in chapter number 3, that they were to to bow their faces before the, uh, the Lord and to put their lips in the dirt. It was an act of humility that God was calling them to. To turn from their ways and acknowledge, if any change will come, it will not come Because we have orchestrated it. Because we have administrated it. Because we somehow with the force of faith made God do it. We have to come to the place where we acknowledge that we have no ability of our own. We are inept to try to overcome the problems of our land. And we must throw ourselves at the mercy of God with absolute humility. A contrition. Repudiation of our own way. But then he calls us to a communion. For the Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Pray and seek my face. Folks, I drive every day past a church that has a COVID testing site. In its parking lot. There are other churches that I know of that are helping to sign people up to receive a vaccine. And that's not evil. I'm not preaching against that. But I can't think of a single church that I have driven by in this year that said we're having a prayer vigil. That we're fasting and praying for the land. Join us in an all-night prayer meeting. You know, we could have a potluck and the whole church would turn out. And everybody would be excited about it. We could have a big day and give things away and we could fill the house. And everybody would, would be so happy to be here. We could hold a Bible study and there would be a handful of folks that would come. We'll have a prayer meeting. Much less an all-night, late-night prayer meeting. And few, if any, would turn up. You know the problem is? We just feel like, well, you know, you see, the thing is. Whatever will be, will be. You, you know, And we get a fatalistic worldview and we somehow think that God's hands are tied because COVID is such a big and insidious problem. And boy, if Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and, and the Surgeon General can't figure this out, then we are up a stump. You know, I'm going to tell you something. God knows how to fix things just like that. He can change everything in an instant. And what he said was not form a line to get a vaccine. 
And I'm not against vaccines. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not saying that you're evil if you get one. So don't quote me on, run out and say that Pastor Mark is against vaccines. I'm not. But what I am saying is this. I'm saying that what we need right now for America, more than we need the availability of a vaccine, is we need God's people to humble their hearts and be willing to pray. Jesus said that we're to pray without ceasing. The Bible says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Recognize the fact that Jesus called His disciples to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation, for truly the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now folks, I have at times, and I'm sure many of you are like me, have been minded to pray and we're thinking about all the perils that surround us and, and we're sitting there and we're thinking about the fact that this is a problem that only God can solve. And because we've thought about it in our minds and hearts, we feel that we have prayed about it. But do you know what? Thinking about something is entirely different than praying about it. And what God wants us to do is consecrate a time and a place, a season for a purpose to call upon His name, to fall on our faces before Him and ask Him to do what only He can do, recognizing that if there's anything that changes for the good, it was only He that did it. You know, I know there are going to be people that rationalize, well, God's going to give wisdom to the doctors to know how to treat the disease. Folks, I know that. Diseases come and diseases are dealt with. But only Jehovah Rapha can heal. Only He who is the great physician can heal our land. Not just physically, but spiritually. And that spiritual sickness, I think, has spawned all of the other sicknesses that are so virulent that have beset us as a people. And God is calling us to pray and to seek His face. I wonder, when was the last time you fasted? Now, folks, I, listen, I've talked to some Christians recently that have said, we're fasting. And you know, they're fasting that the Lord would bless them materially. They're fasting that the Lord would open the doors of the schoolhouse so that they could get a break from the kids. And they're, they're seeking the Lord's face for so many things. And much of what they're seeking the Lord for are things that can be traced right back to self. Now I want to say to you that some of those who say I'm fasting, you know, they're fasting from six in the morning till six at night. Somehow I don't know how that uh, Christians all of a sudden morphed into Muslims and we're, we're patterning our prayer life and fasting time after Ramadan. But, you know, listen, I'm going to just simply say that when Jesus fasted, it wasn't from six in the morning till six at night. And then he, he broke his fast. Uh, he didn't just say, well, I'm fasting now. Uh, David didn't fast. And, and Daniel didn't fast by saying, I'm just going to drink juice and have vegetables. And uh, I'm fasting. I'm, I'm swearing off of carbs and, and protein or, or whatever. Listen, he didn't do that. 
It wasn't I'm on a juice fast. They weren't fasting from the internet. They gave up anything that would feed and gratify the flesh. In other words, they gave up everything except water. And in some cases, they gave up even water. And it wasn't from six to six or from dawn to dusk or whatever. It was for an entire season of time, 24 hours. I wonder when was the last time that you spent 24 hours fasting and giving that time to seeking God's face in prayer. You see, Bible fasting as we learn of it, in especially Isaiah chapter 58, it means that I'm going to take the money that I would have spent on groceries and I'm going to give it away to the poor that have not had enough to eat. You know what it means when... when I'm having hunger pains, I'm a little lightheaded, thinking I'm hypoglycemic, I need to sit down or maybe call in if I fast. Uh, He doesn't want us to exact our labors, you know, He wants us to wash our face and go about our days, not letting everybody know, pray for me, I'm fasting. You see, if we do it to be seen of men, it's useless. We've seen... Youth departments from sea to shining sea called upon to have fasts. And what they do is they get together and they'll have a a three or four or five hour uh, group meeting where everybody uh, swears off of food and beverage and then they break the fast by bringing in pizza. You know, that's not what God's calling for. What God is calling is for His people to be willing to humble themselves and afflict their flesh so that the mind, the heart, and the soul would be quickened to the things of God. That that which would normally be given over to the pleasures of the flesh, whatever that may constitute, it may be watching television, looking at the internet, working your crossword puzzles, watching your game shows, taking a walk in the park, going shooting at the range, going out for a fishing uh, outing, playing a round of golf. It it, it might be uh, something that satisfies you, taking a long hot bath and listening to music with candles that pleases your flesh and gives you a sensory experience. And And you do away with that so that you can give your attention unto the Lord. I have a pastor friend that Uh, every year has a 40-day fast, 40 days he fasts. Water only, no food. Listen, he doesn't even use toothbrush on a uh, toothpaste on his toothbrush. But you know what? After about five days of not having any food, you don't have to worry about anything being stuck in your dental work. And he got to the place where he, he told me at one time he was taking too much pleasure each morning in a, in a hot shower. And because that was giving him comfort in the time where he was having some physical distress, he elected rather to begin taking tepid showers. He spent less time and drew far less comfort from it. He said, you know what I did? I started setting my alarm clock in the middle of the night because I found that I was taking way too much comfort in sleep. I was was pleasing my flesh by sleeping hours of a fast season away and not giving that time to the Lord. 
And you know, as we study the Word of God, I know that sounds harsh to so many people. But you know, when you get serious about a problem, when you get serious about the things of the Lord, you know what? You're willing to put away certain things for a season of time so that you can truly seek the Lord's face. We're called upon to pray. The sad thing is that the Barna Research Institute a couple of years ago did a research study on prayer in America and they discovered of all evangelical people that were researched and the number was in the many thousands of people that the average Christian person including mealtime prayers spent about five minutes a day in prayer including mealtime prayers. You know, the sad thing was that the average pastor spent less than 11 minutes a day in prayer, including mealtime prayers. Is it any wonder that our country is in the mess that it's in? The truth today is that God is calling us to pray and to seek His face. Look, you can humble yourself before God and and, and then not be serious enough to go to the season of prayer and beg God for Him to do what only He can do. What I think we need to understand tonight is this. He says, I want you to pray, but then we notice a change. Not only a communion, but a change. You see, the Bible says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and then He says, and turn from their wicked ways. So the Lord is calling His people to repent. He's calling them to turn away from their iniquity. Now I'm grateful tonight that the Lord didn't require me to have to name every single individual sin that I ever committed and ask Him to forgive it in order for me to be forgiven. Because I've committed so many sins, and by the way, so have you, that if you had to name everyone in order for it to be forgiven, you'd be up a creek without a paddle before God. You'd say, I can't be forgiven then. And there are some people that say, in order to be saved, you've got to repent of all your sins. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know anybody that's ever done that. Billy Graham hasn't done it, all right? Billy Sunday didn't do it. Uh, uh, Franklin Graham hasn't done that. You haven't done it, neither have I. I'll, I'll, I'll promise you this, that every person listening and every person that will listen to this, once the football game is over, has committed a sin today. You've done something today. You've had an impure thought. You've held anger in your heart. You've thought wrong thoughts towards the people of God. You've failed to pray. You've failed to spend the time in the Word. You've failed to humble yourself before God. You've, spent, you've done something. You've made choices to supplant God in your affections. The reality is that I don't know anybody that has repented of all their sins. And to ask somebody who's not even a Christian to repent of all their sins when they don't even know all that they are as a precondition of God saving them is ridiculous. It puts man in the driver's seat instead of God. All we have to do is acknowledge that we are sinners, that our sin has separated us from a holy God, and that is 
a repentance in our heart, changing our mind about who Jesus is and about the, the fact that I cannot save myself by any effort of my own. And I repent in coming to Jesus and throwing myself at His mercy. But understand here, God is calling His people. In this case, today, it would be those who are already claiming the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Repentance is a good word that God uses for those who are His children to turn away from their sins. In James chapter 4, He said, "Uh, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What God is calling people in this New Testament dispensation to do is to repent of their wicked ways because my friends, the world is looking at the church and they're wondering if there is such a thing as true Christianity. They're wondering if there's any difference between those that go to the church and those that do not. They're looking simply to see if there's any difference. And I'm afraid that altogether too often they look at the people of God and they think they're just like I am. They laugh at all the same jokes that I do. They talk just the way that we do. They they fight and argue with their family too. They have problems and issues and seem to have no power to overcome them just like everybody else they're no different they drink just like we do they watch the same movies that we do they they smoke and carry on just like we do and they go to a church that says come as you are and leave as you were and they sit in church uh, every Sunday but they come home and they're the same person that walked into that church every week and God is saying I'm wanting my people to change that's what's missing today in Christendom We have no lack for music and musicians in churches. We have bands to beat the band. We have have dance teams and we have worship teams and we have bands and praise bands and front lines and groups and we have video and we have every medium and method that you can imagine to proliferate the gospel and music. But we don't have personal holiness. The fact is that God is looking for it in our hearts And in our hands, the Bible says in the book of Psalm and chapter 22, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in the holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not sworn deceitfully, neither lifted up his soul unto vanity. And my friend, God is calling us as a people to turn from our wicked ways, to to leave our sin behind and seek the Lord's face and understand that that is a condition that God gave for him bringing about a revival that would affect a change and yea, even a healing in our land. And I wonder if it's a price that, that many would be willing to pay. You say COVID is terrible. Yes, it is. We have seen far too many people in our fellowship go to be with Jesus And what's written on their death certificate is COVID-19. I'm simply saying it's terrible. Do we think it's terrible enough to afflict the flesh, to humble our hearts? Do we think it's bad enough to seek the Lord in prayer? Do we think it's terrible enough that we're willing to give up the sinful pleasures that we enjoy for a season of time to seek the Lord and see if He will hear and answer. Because He said, at that point, then will I hear from heaven 
and we'll forgive their sin and we'll heal their land. You see, the Lord that cannot lie made a promise. He said, when you do this, I make a commitment. I will do this. I will hear you. I will forgive you. I will heal you. I will hear you, he said. I will forgive you. I will heal you. That's what he said. This nation needs a revival in the church. And we can sit around obsessing about the sin in our culture and the iniquity that abounds in Washington, D.C. We can talk about the scourge of homosexuality and transgenderism and and now our president signed an executive order allowing transgenders to have uh, the ability to enter the armed services as never before. And we can lament all of that and that's not the problem. The problem is the ones that are called by His name. It's not the ones that hate His name. It's the ones that are called by His name. We won't humble ourselves before Him. We won't pray and seek His face. And we won't turn loose of the very things that drove the nails in His hands and feet. We want to hold on to them. But if we would, He promised, I'll hear you. I'll forgive you. I will heal you. Every day in prayer, every day in prayer. I pray God would you lift the scourge of COVID from our from our country. Lord, would you protect our people, those that are afflicted with it. God, by your grace, would you let them recover. God, would you comfort the families of the afflicted. And I think we need to pray that. But let me say, I think we need to start with, God, would you heal the sickness spiritually that's in me? Would you pluck out the pride that leads me to think that I'm better than somebody else? Or I'm not as bad as somebody else? Would you root out the the pride that resists your hand and cause your ear to grow dull of hearing? Would we demonstrate to God the seriousness of our commitment to living a life of honor before Him by being willing, perhaps for a season, to fast and to pray? And to seek His face and to then turn from our wicked ways. The problem is not that we need to try to overcome God's lack of willingness. God is willing to do all of this, you see. The problem is not with God. The problem is with man. Because God said, if the judgment comes... Here's how to fix it. We have the fix. The problem is we won't apply it. 
Will God heal our land? I think the question is better posed. Will the people called by His name do what He says? Because then we know. We have the promise from a God that cannot lie. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Will God's people do what God said do? That's the question. Heavenly Father, tonight I, I pray that we would not just rush to the internet to post memes and post verses that we hope everyone else will read. But Lord, may we start to live a verse before we post the verse. May we let You by Your Spirit do a thorough search in all of us that we might be purged and cleansed of anything that would hinder God's free course among us. Lord, I ask that tonight You would begin it in me. Lord, I pray that those things that so easily distract my focus and lead me to despair, those things that get me down and those things that fill my heart that are not You, Lord, would You root them out Lord, make me willing and humble enough to confess what they are and to submit to that process in my life. Lord, begin a revival and God, would you begin it in me. Lord, I'm the one standing in the need of prayer. I'm the one that needs your revival. God, begin it in me. Lord, I pray that all of us may be so minded and so spirited that we would plead for a mighty moving where the glory of the Lord would come and the fire of God would fall. Lord, may we fall on our faces before Thee saying that the Lord is good and His mercy endureth forever. Help us, O oh God, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, the Lord has allowed the church to be in this season of time. And none of this caught God by surprise. He knew about COVID-19 before anybody knew what it was. And He's a sovereign God. And I believe that at such a time as this, He's looking for the people of God to simply do what He says. I want to challenge you to consider that. The next time we go to 2 Chronicles seven 14, let's read it all. Let's understand that we were like Israel and saw the glory of the Lord come, the fire of God in the pulpits moving of the Holy Spirit. But we didn't serve the Lord with a pure heart, with a fervent heart, with a perfect heart. And God brought judgment. 
He's calling us to humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked way with the God that we will do. Just exactly what God says do. And then, friends, I want to say something to you. If you're not certain that you're on your way to heaven tonight, but you'd like to be sure, understand this. We're all sinners. No one is better than anyone else. The ground is all level at the foot of the cross. We all must come to Him acknowledging that we're sinners. That separated us from God and has relegated us to hell. Because of our sin, we deserve to die and pay for our sins in a devil's hell. The Bible reveals to us that, that God loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus, who is God in the flesh, to die on a cross to pay the price for your sin and mine so that we may be forgiven that the gates of heaven may be open to us and that we can know it. And he offers heaven according to Romans 6.23 as the gift of God its eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord to all who will believe him and receive it. If you know that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross was buried and that he rose again and he now offers you forgiveness and eternal life in heaven because of his shed blood for you and now he says that heaven and forgiveness is a free gift to all who will receive it he said for whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved and if you simply ask him for it the god that cannot lie has promised that he would forgive you and save you Tonight, if you would just call upon the Lord in prayer, confessing your sinful condition, your desire for forgiveness and salvation, He's promised He would hear and answer. Tonight, I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you would like to know that heaven is yours, I invite you to pray along with me. Now, there are no magic words, but if the words of this prayer reflect the desire of your heart, make it your own prayer to God, and He will do just as He said. He will save you. Pray with me right now, would you? Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. I realize that I cannot save myself. And I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sins and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with God. I believe that Jesus died for me and was buried. That He rose again to give me this forgiveness and eternal life in heaven. I'm now trusting in Jesus. And Jesus only to save me and take me to heaven someday. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for Thee. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer believing tonight, we invite you to give us a call on the number provided to send us an email or a note, perhaps a text, perhaps message us. Let us know you have. We want to send you a Bible, send you some information that will help you understand all that Jesus has done for you. And to everyone who has joined us tonight, we say thank you. And it's our prayer that God will have used His Word to penetrate your heart, that it will make a change in all of us, starting with me.
Don't forget that we'll have our Wednesday midweek service online only at 7 p.m. We hope that you'll choose to join us again. And until we meet again, may the Lord richly bless 